Morning. It is, it is our last um, sermon in the series of Gideon. I hope that you've really enjoyed it. Um, I hope that you've felt uh, God refresh you and felt a, a sort of new, fresh calling of God for you to step out of some things and step out into other things. Um, just to give you a bit of a heads up, at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together. This is for those of us who would say we're following Jesus, we're Christians. If you're, you're not, then please feel free to leave that alone. Um, but our kids are going to join us uh, at the end of the service, so please don't be distracted by the cute kids at the back. Um, they've been learning about communion, and we want them to witness it and see what goes on, what it looks like, so they can learn. Um, it's, a, it's a small way that we look to invest in the next generation, so we want them to sort of gather around the back, and I think it's today they'll be learning a bit more about communion. Um, we're going to be reading from the book of Judges chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can be scrolling along to there. To give you a clue, it's just after chapter 7 of, uh, of Judges. Um, uh, we were out earlier uh, in the prayer meeting, and Hugh kindly pointed out that this has been a, an exciting series. I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. And, and that, um, as Al put it a few weeks ago, like the end of the story of Gideon you know, many of you will know, doesn't end so well. And I started thinking to myself, it's a stitch up. I, 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 got, I got, the, got the one that's like, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, but joking aside, you know, we, we mustn't, um, you could so easily read the, the end story of Gideon and you could just really see the flaws of, of the leader and the failures of the people. But I really want us, we, we want us to mine scripture for all that it has. And, and to do that, we've got to have a very biblical mindset. Gideon is one of the cloud of witnesses cited in Hebrews 11. Okay, it's not on the screen, so you can check it out later at home. He is there. Um, and it doesn't say in Hebrews that Gideon, after much persuasion, sign after sign, a dream, uh, then finally stepped out and did what God said. And then when God came through and overwhelmed the enemy, he stumbled and led the people of God into just complete rebellion. Now... I've read a few commentaries on Gideon, and it can feel a bit like that's the story. But actually, the Bible says of Gideon, he is like any other child of God. We've just been singing it, and I hope you have. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a child of God. And like any child of God, Gideon, like any of you, yeah, he, it says in Hebrews that he was one through weakness was made strong. He's honoured. He's not like, oh yeah, oh, I know Gideon, don't do what he did. He's actually honoured. The, bibli the biblical perspective on this is actually the Bible honours faithful obedience that glorifies God the Father. It honours that. that. That's, if you like, the legacy there. And that's what I want us to really think about and hold on and have the mindset on it when we look at Gideon and his life. Not just see the flaws, but see the faith. Um, I love seeing brothers and sisters step out. I love seeing that. 
Um, I, I love the fact that, that many of you are stepping out again. Some of you are stepping out to lead life group again. Some of you have stepped out to lead a new innovative life group. I love it. That's my reference to God versus gamers, if anyone's wondering. I love it. Um, I love the fact that some of you are, are choosing to try something new. They're seeing a need. They're taking initiative. I'm going to step up and take responsibility. I love the fact that some of you have led faithfully in all kinds of things for years. And in humility, you're stepping down. And you're seeking God for what he wants you to do next. I just want to say, well done to each and every one of you. And there'll be loads of other things that you've obeyed God in. And you're not doing it, as he would say, when everything's tiggity-boo. Um, it's a very Zimbabwean term, I believe. Um, and uh, you're actually doing it in the midst of real brokenness, stuff that you're going through, your families are going through, you go through every day. You know your own flaws, but you're going to step out anyway. And that's the kind of leader I think Gideon was. Um, he had flaws, like you, like me, um, but he had faith as well. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get stuck into the scriptures. Um, let's, let's pray together. Um, Father God, we thank you and praise you that all things are from you, exist by your power, are intended for your glory. We are from you, through you, and we want to live for your glory. May we love nothing more than to love you. May our love be the motive for all that we do. May loving you sustain us and protect us from drifting from you and your ways. May we have a growing desire for your glory. May our praise and worship this morning bless you. Freely we've received, may we freely give. When you deliver us from evil, may we shout your name all the louder. When you heal us, may we step out in ever-increasing faith. Lead us, Father, to step out in faithful obedience and in increasing holiness. And to you, Father God, may all the glory be forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we're picking up the story where, um, where Gideon has done a fantastic job. So we're in chapter 8, verse 22. And Gideon has has obeyed God, and he's done, a, he's done a phenomenal job, actually. Some commentaries say he's very thorough. He's relentless in his pursuit of the enemy. And there's a mix in that as well. There's probably a bit of vengeance. His, his brothers were killed and things like that. But he does what God asks him to do. And the Midianites, the enemy of God's people, are done with. They're gone. And we, we pick up the story here in verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Sounds like somebody else needs some saving. There you go. Dad. Dad to the rescue. Um, you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Good work, Gideon. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from your spoil. Because the, the, the enemies, the Is, not the Israelites, the Ishmaelites or the Midianites had had earrings. 
And they said, we'll willingly give them to you. And there was a lot of it. <laughs> loads and loads of it. Next slide. And Gideon made an ephod out of it. This was the breastplate, the apron, as it were, that the high priest of Israel, the, the one high priest of Israel wore. Only he wore it. And he would use that to intercede on behalf of God's people and inquire of the Lord. And Gideon melts his earrings down and he makes an ephod of them. And he puts it in his hometown. And it says, all Israel hoard after it, after the ephod. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel. Hooray! And they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. And then, I'm going to call him Jerry. The son of Joash went and lived in his own house. That's Gideon. It's just another term for Gideon. Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives, and his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. And he called his name Abimelech, which is basically translated, my dad's king. Okay, that gives you a hint of where Gideon's heart was at. And Gideon, the son of Jerosh, died in a good old age, and he was buried in the tomb of Jerosh's father at, at Ophrah of the Abizarites. Verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Gideon in return for all the good that he'd done to Israel. I've called this week's sermon, Step Out and Remember the Lord. Okay? <laughs> what a legacy um, that... As soon as he dies, God's people forget Gideon, forget his family, and forget the Lord who delivered them. Um, that's not a legacy any of, want, any of us want, right? Um, can you say, beware? beware? Beware. Beware the snares. Okay? So there's a point where I, I, th I think... Gideon's more of a drifter. And I think that's often how it goes for Christians. We drift away from God. It's less common that there's sudden, deliberate rebellion. And, and I think what we see here in Gideon's life is a drifting. And what we see in the people of God is a, is a terrible drifting. They come to him and say, rule over us. Gideon says, no. The Lord will rule over you. Well done. But he hasn't spotted what's going on in his heart and what's going in the hearts of the leaders. They say, you've saved us to Gideon. Now in chapter 7, God was really clear with Gideon. I'm thinning out your troops from like 30-odd thousand to 300. Thanks, God. Um, like, I'm thinning them out so the people won't be self-deceived. They won't say, my hand has saved me. And here we are, they're doing precisely that. They're seeing this great, impressive leader, and they're saying, Gideon, you're the man. Be our king. Now, Gideon knew that there should not be a king for the people of God, that only the Lord rules over his people. He knew that, so he answered right. But I think... 
his subsequent request and his subsequent actions shows us that really, if nothing else, he was self-deceived. He makes this really unusual request. So I'm going to have a sip of water. So Gideon says, let me make this request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from your spoil. He melts them up and he makes an ephod. Okay? And this ephod becomes a snare to Gideon and his whole family. A snare is a, a trap, usually made for catching small animals. Okay? And the way a snare works is it's put right in the path that the animal is walking around, wherever it's going. And right in the middle of the snare is a nice, juicy bait. A morsel, usually, not a full, but just something that, mm, oh, that catches my eye. And so the animal doesn't see the trap in its everyday path. It just sees the bait. And, and the thing is about a snare is it really finishes off the animal. Yeah, it's usually, they, they get entangled, they get ensnared. What finishes them off is either the elements or when the hunter turns up. There has been cases where some animals will gnaw their foot off to get away and out of that snare. It's quite a graphic picture, isn't it? And Gideon was ensnared to this ephod. Bit of an odd question. Have you got any ephods in your life? Now, just for clarity, I am not in any way, shape, or sense picturing that at home you guys have got on your wall some like Old Testament ephod hung up on your wall. And if you have, please see Hugh or Al <laughs> about that. Um, they, they will help you. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about is there something that you've sought, you've gone after that you shouldn't do. Or you've gone ways that are, you know are not God's ways. Yeah, you've, if you like, you've started to be wearing something that you really shouldn't be. Or you've started to look to something as, as a source of saving you. Maybe a source of security. And that you've become ensnared to it. It's just getting you tangled up. You're not actually able to get away from it and be free to follow God's ways. Common snares, just because it's a bit cryptic, you've probably all got an ephod in your head now and thinking, what's that look like? And what were the stones on it? And getting you back to the point is common snares in our culture. Comfort. Comfort. Who doesn't like a bit of comfort? Yeah. What about the love of money? And I'm not talking about people who have lots of money. Do you know, you can have love of money when you've got not much at all. And you can have loads of money and be so free and generous. It's not about how much you do or don't have. But the love of money is a strong pull. It's a real snare. What about lust? That's a common one. That's a huge one in our culture. And it's been, do you know what? The, the bait is everywhere these days, isn't it? More and more and more. And not just any more for men. Oh, that's a problem for men, not a problem for women. Nonsense. Increasingly, 
Do you know, Jesus said this about lust. He said, it's going on in your heart. When you look at a man or a woman in a way that you should not, you're committing adultery in your heart. That's what's gone on. He says, if your eye or your hand causes you to sin, gouge it out. Cut it off. Gnaw it off. Get out of the snare. He said, it's better to lose one member than the whole body goes to hell. That's weighty. That's serious. I don't think Jesus was saying we should dig out our eyeballs and chop off our hands. There wouldn't be anything left of me, if that's what he meant. What I think he was saying is, actually, lust is a serious problem, and it can lead you somewhere you don't want to go. And that's true of all sin. If... If comfort is a problem, is a snare, yeah, can I encourage you to pray as we prayed this morning? Ask God to teach you the secret of contentment. Yeah, Paul said it in Philippians 4. He said, he said I have learned to be content. And it doesn't matter if I'm hungry or if I'm full. If I have plenty or not much at all, I'm content. Wouldn't you want that? <laughs> Christmas Day, most of us are, oh, I feel content. <laughs> you know, maybe when we get the bill, mums and dads afterwards, we feel less content. No, Paul's talking about something that's there, regardless, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what our needs are felt. If, if it's love of money, then ask God for wisdom. Wisdom teaches us to pray that God, you wouldn't give me riches and you wouldn't give me poverty. I don't want so much that I say, oh, who, who's God? I'm all right. My bank balance is good. Insurance is paid. I'm mortgage free. Jed's smiling at me and I'm happy. Um, like, that's what we don't want. And we don't want poverty so that we're like, oh, God, you're letting me down. There's a wisdom in Having contentment, yes, but also having, you know, a healthy mean, as it were. Having the means. Be, being, being truly at liberty to say, give me my daily bread. My daily bread. Not tons more, not less, but my daily bread. And if it's lust, well, <laughs> I, I think it was Mr. Miyagi who said... Um, the best way to not be here is not to be there. I think that's a great tip. And the best way to not fall to lust is don't be there. Don't be there. Yeah, Proverbs 30, verse 8, I think it is, says, you know, here's wisdom. It's powerful and profound. It actually is, but it's very simple. It says, be far away from the forbidden woman's house. Don't go near it. Near it. I remember when I, I stayed in Jerusalem for a few days and stuff in the old city. And it is just like you've probably been seeing on the telly recently. They, those old small streets. You feel like you've stepped back 2,000 years. And, and for this proverb, I sort of think, yeah, there's, there's these little streets. And there's some of them, you know, that door, that house there is not where you want to be. 
Don't even go down the road. Take a different path. (laughs) Take a path where the bait isn't there. Or do a Joseph. Run. Run if you need to. If you need to, run. For Gideon, the bait was set when he was offered the kingship. Okay, and, and some people will say that um, he refused the kingship, but he wanted the priesthood. Okay, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But he did, he did get ensnared in stuff because he wasn't attentive to his heart. Can you say be attentive? Attentive. So the Bible is, it doesn't pull any punches when it comes to talking about the human heart. Now, my clause in this, and we prayed this this morning, is that if you are in Christ, if you've said, yep, Jesus Christ, I believe in you, and you've confessed it with your lips, and it's from your heart, then the Bible's clear. You have a new heart. He's taken your heart of stone, which God can't speak to, he can't live in, he can't work with and he's given you a heart of flesh that is true but also the human heart and we we still have to outwork that the human heart as it says in Jeremiah is deceitful above all else it's self-deceitful we kind of trick ourselves it's deceitful above all else it's beyond cure That's why we needed a new heart, not a fixed up one, a totally new one. Who can understand it? And that's why above all else we're called in Proverbs to guard our hearts. They need guarding. Why? Because out of our hearts flows all that we are. Everything that we do, everything that we say, as Jesus said it, is from the abundance. It's what we've got stored up inside ourselves that we speak. When I'm in the car and I start, whoa, what is in me? What's in me? I want more. Thank you, Lord. Bless that driver. Reckless as as he is. (laughs) Give him a safe journey. Yeah. And would you save him? Would you save him so that when I meet him in eternity, he can go, I recognize you. And I say, yes, yes, I prayed for you. Um, yeah, I want <laughs> maybe not so much the pride, but the first bit. Out of, out of our hearts, the mouth speaks. Gideon wasn't attentive to what was in his heart. And do you know what? If we're real, we miss stuff as well. All of us have blind spots, every one of us. By definition, we don't see it. We, and we, we stuff up sometimes. This is where we need brothers and sisters alongside us who can say, Tom, I know your heart. And they'll see the good. That's what love does. It thinks the best. It hopes the best. But they'll also recognize where you might have blind spots. They'll help you. Tom, I think this could be a snare for you. Don't go there. We need friends that we can be accountable with. I struggle with this. Can you just check in on me every now and then? Help me. I want to be free of it. And we need friends to stand with us. We heard last week from Roy. You know, we've got to stand, each one of us doing our part. And then when we do that, the enemy is pushed back. 
There's lots of ways we can do that, but discipleship is vital. Okay, it's vital that we lead ourselves, absolutely, that we're following Jesus day by day, that we are renewing our minds and we're attentive to our hearts every day. Okay, every day. But we don't have to do that alone. We need good brothers and sisters to help us with that. And when we do that, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Ironically, what Gideon did is he took those earrings. So in ancient cultures, earrings were used by slaves to signify whose master was, was theirs, who they belonged to. And the Midianites wore earrings to signify which god or the gods they were devoted to. So these earrings were a symbol of devotion to devils, basically. And, and Gideon takes all these the spoils of war, not uncommon for people to do, military leaders in those days, but he chose those symbols of devotion. He melted them down, and what did he do? He made his own little symbol of devotion. It ensnared him, his family, and then the whole of Israel started whoring. Now, that's strong language, but God is strong about his love for us. And when his bride goes and turns and hops in bed with another man, as it were, he feels it. All of Israel, it said, all of it went and whored after this thing. There's so many things that we can chase, so many things that will be set up as bait for us. And we mustn't do that. We're called to be devoted. We're called to be holy. And this is where some of you start feeling a bit awkward on your seats, okay? Um, holiness or being holy, I don't think is primarily about following a set of rules and not doing other things. It is expressed that way. It does have its expression in faithful obedience. Yeah? Jesus said, like, if you love me, you obey me. If you love me, you obey me. Okay? But holiness is about a holy God who has set us apart. He's set us apart for himself. He has devoted us to himself so that we can devote ourselves to him. God says this. He says, you're mine. You're mine. Be mine. All mine. And only mine. That's what it is to be holy. God said, be holy, for I am holy. It's something that he has done, but then we are. And we be it. I don't know about you guys. I mean, 
It is true. I'm glad you mentioned it this morning, Hugh. And I joked about it earlier. It's a weighty message, isn't it? We've had weeks, we've had four weeks of like, go for God. And it's been excited. I've loved seeing how so many of us have felt the love of God, felt the stir of God, and have responded right then and there. It's fantastic. And I want you to know that if you're starting to feel a bit, bit awkward, because I'm talking about holiness and you know there's stuff in your life, yeah? There's stuff in my life. God knows, okay? We're going to be... We're going to be taking communion together. And communion is about remembering the Lord. And it's about rejoicing in the Lord. And it's also about repenting sometimes. And if you need to repent of stuff this morning, do it. You can do it quietly between you and God. Or if you need a brother or sister to say, I just want you to hear hear my prayer. I'm not confessing to you. I'm confessing to the Lord. Do you know... We can be confident in our time of need. Our time of need might look like a whole range of things. Sometimes my time of need is just like, I've done it again, or I can't believe I did that. But the Bible says we can be confident. We can come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy. Confident that what? We'll get told off, get booted out, told, no, that's once too often, off you, off you go. No, confident that we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We sung it today about fear being cast out. The perfect love of God cast out all fear. It cast out all fear, his love. We can truly be devoted we can truly walk with Jesus we can have fellowship with him I think it says in first John if we have fellowship with him then we don't walk in darkness we walk in light we walk in light with one another but with Jesus Gideon was flawed the people Failed big time. Um, but Jesus is the one that we look to. Yeah, good, just checking. Um, he's the one who lived the perfect life. He not only started perfectly, he finished perfectly. Sinless life. Perfect life. And, and for 30 years... He'd been preparing for three years of declaring the gospel of God. And he did that perfectly. And the father was glorified. But right on the cusp of him going to the cross, God the father says, actually, I'm going to be glorified even more. You should read read the verses before. But it's in John 12, sorry. Right up until Jesus is going to face the cross. You know, I I don't know, I can't imagine what was going through his head, but I can only think that every fibre of his being was like, save me. I, I do not want to go to the cross. So next slide, please, Alex. Now is my soul troubled. 
That's kind of like the pardon me version, isn't it? I'm going to face all kinds of stuff. My nearest and dearest are going to betray me, are going to deny me, are going to walk away from me. My enemies are going to be surrounding me like fierce animals. They're going to torture me. They're going to tell lies about me. They're going to stitch me up. And then they're going to crucify me to death. And you, Father, are going to turn your back on me. And Jesus said, but for this purpose, I've come. Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose I came. I've come to glorify your name. I love Christmas too. (laughs) I love Christmas too. And at Christmas we start remembering the arrival, the coming of Christ. And it's a wonderful celebration. Let us never forget that he came to die. That's not a usual Christmas message, is it? (laughs) Welcome to our Christmas celebration, just so you know. But he did. He was born to die for our sin. But to glorify the name of the Father. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to die to all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I hope I'm not imagining that any of us here will be called to literally die. For Christ, But ask ourselves, what, what are we enduring? The previous verses talked about that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. What are you and I enduring for the joy, the immeasurable joy we have in being with Jesus? Are we enduring anything? Are we, how are we um, uh, handling disapproval from others because of the way we follow Christ? It can be very subtle. It can be really subtle. For me, sometimes I feel like I've got to explain, particularly to non-believers, that I'm not as wealthy as I might be or as impressive to them as I could be because I'm following Jesus. Oh, that's a great testimony, Tom. Yeah, not. So don't follow that example. Yeah? It's because fear of man's there. I want to look, you know, how often do, do we want to like, be a great disciple on Sunday and then we want to, perhaps even in the name of reaching my lost friends, we sort of actually blur the lines a little bit and, and we sort of become a bit more like our friends. It's all because, you know, we want, we want you to understand Christians are people too, yeah, and we fail to remain devoted to Jesus or we stuff up, we, we compromise in small little ways, okay? It's a drift. Let's, let's keep ourselves on a straight path, and let's keep brothers and sisters on the straight path. The kids are coming in. Can I ask, ask the band to come up and join us? Um, we're going to have communion together um, and I think what, what I'll ask if, if the band could be playing some gentle music um, as, we, as we go to the tables there's 
one at the back, one on the side there. So when you feel ready in a few minutes, just grab the wafer, grab the drink. And can I encourage you, if, if you feel that, you know, the stuff that the Holy Spirit is reminding you of, get somebody, pray with somebody. Maybe more positively, you feel like, actually, there's something that I've been holding back from, that I've not stepped out for God for. And you want to you wanna just say, look, I think God is calling me to step out this way. And just share with somebody, whatever that is. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I feel like I'm preaching to the converted, to be honest. But there's always hope that maybe, if, if you wouldn't say you're following Jesus Christ, maybe today you could say, look, you know, I'm not sure, Lord. I'm not sure, but, you know, if, 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 then, then tell me what you want me to do. That was, that was part of my testimony. In the year 2000, I think it is, uh, in St. Ebbs, Church of England, church in the centre of Oxford. And a, a guy, regular guy, got up and spoke about his experience. He'd been in a war-torn country. And he'd literally been amongst, seeing it right in front of his eyes, genocide. People just murdered, slaughtered right in front of him. He was a regular-looking guy, unimpressive man, yeah, by the appearance. And he, he just talked about his faith and the peace that he had. He said, I'm not a particularly brave guy, but I just entrusted myself fully to God. And I was blown away. I don't remember much else of what he said. But he said, he said this. He said, if you have enough faith to ask God what he wants you to do, ask him to show you. And then do it. And I did. And he did. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to invite you this morning to ask God to show you what he wants you to do. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is, and I'll do it. That takes faith and courage and all of that. But I can I entrust, just, just, you know, God is trustworthy. He has you. He's a good father. He's loving. And he's not going to probably tell you something completely outlandish that doesn't make any sense. You can get it tested with brothers and sisters. But start off there. Where do you want me to step out, Lord? Show me. And whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. I'm going to pray. And then when you're ready, uh, let's, let's break bread together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to die on a cross, that you are now glorified in the heavenlies. Thank you that the Father was glorified through your death, burial and resurrection and ascension. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our great high priest, the only one whose righteousness that we want to wear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a deposit in our hearts. You have circumcised our hearts for yourself, triune God. Thank you, Lord. And I pray this morning that many of us, and, and going on from here, 
that we will hear the call of you on our lives and we will step out. I pray that we would have a legacy that says he, she stepped out for the Lord. But I, I long, Lord, for a legacy that says he equipped, he encouraged, and long after Tom Allen was gone, they continued to step out for God. I pray that right across this room, Lord, and for our brothers and sisters who couldn't be here today. We want to see a legacy, Lord. We want to see the next generation raised up and stepping out for you and your name. And all of God's people said, Amen.